I want to start with a word of prayer. Father, may you increase and I decrease. May your people who came here to worship you keep their eyes focused on you and you alone because you alone can meet all of our needs. You alone know where we are. You alone know how desperate our needs are. And you alone can lift us up. And you alone can give us the victory, for we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Part of my testimony is that there were 18 months of my life, the most painful 18 months of all my 69 years. I'm rejoicing at the fact that I'm going to make, if, if, I, if God spares me next year, I'll be 70. So I'm looking forward to that. Amen. Thank God. I grew up in a Christian home, as some of you probably have read and know my bio, uh, in Egypt, uh, evangelical, Bible-believing home. And uh, when my mother was pregnant with me, uh, her health, I was the caboose. We had eight kids in our family, so toward the end, her health was really deteriorating. And three doctors said, you have to terminate the pregnancy. You cannot go through with this pregnancy because it is too dangerous for you. Well, uh, after the arrangement was made, the pastor of our church at the time, a holiness Wesleyan church, came, knocked on the door, and he said, you can't go through with this. The Lord showed me that with a he or she is going to come and serve the Lord. Well, my mother was a woman of faith and trusted God, she said, okay, I will uh, go through with it and regardless of what happens. So I came into the world. But as I grew up and heard the story, knew that God has a hand on my life and, and, and um, looked around and saw all my older siblings, they're extremely successful. I mean, I want you to imagine when you're nine years old, your brother, who's 27, is a bank president. He gets picked up in a chauffeur-driven limousine. And I'm going to be what? So I rebelled. And then I remember during my rebellious year in my teen years, one of the events that kind of woke me up a little bit, not completely, but woke me up, when my mother was so frustrated with my rebellion, she put her hand on my head and she prayed, Lord, I risked my life to have this boy. If he's not going to turn around and love you and serve you, take him now. <laughs> that makes you really think your priorities in a hurry. Mercifully, the Lord didn't take me and uh, he converted me <laughs> in March of 64. I wrote her a letter told her that what God did in my life, and she was self-thrilled, she went to be with the Lord in July of that year. But her dream was fulfilled. I feel about 18 months later, the devil tricked me. And how can God love you? It takes your mother. How can God love you? He wants you to be a poor preacher, when all your brothers are so successful and rich. And uh, so I decided 
I'm going to go it my way. And if I can become really run away from God as far as I can, I'll become so damaged as a damaged goods that he can't use me. And those are the 18 months, most painful 18 months of my life. I'll hope they'll never be repeated. They were not repeated. I'm going to tell you more about this actually in a minute. And I'm wondering if you have ever been in a situation where you prayed for something that deep down you know it is not in the will of God for you, but you want it so badly that you prayed and you prayed and hoping that God would change his mind or that God will see things your way. I have done that. That was my life for during those 18 months. I wanted to go in a certain direction uh, and I knew in my heart, you know, this whole story always played in my head, but it doesn't matter. I worked hard toward that goal. I wanted God somehow to uh, come my way, uh, and, and um, I was actually con convinced myself that God may have a plan B, even if I don't obey plan A. And the reason why those 18 months were the toughest part of my Christian walk is because when God did not answer my prayer, and when God did not see it my way, uh, when God did not do uh, what um, I pleaded with him to do, I even went away further from the Lord. I turned my back on him. And I tried to run away as far as I could from God. To be sure, I was young in the faith. I was not very mature. I was immature in the faith. I was not discerning. I did not understand the sovereignty of God. I, uh, I did not uh, trust that the will of God in my life is far, far, far better than what I wanted God to do for me. But nonetheless, that powerful lesson, that uncherished period in my life taught me the truth of the psalmist in Psalm 139, 7 and 8 when he said, Where can I go from your spirit? Where can I flee from your presence? If I go up to the heavens, you are there. If I make my bed in the depths, you are there. The sad thing is, when Jonah ran away from God, he knew those verses. He knew the Psalms. Uh, when I ran away from God, I knew that, part, that verse. I knew the truth of the scripture. Many believers know the words of the psalmist, but they don't take it to heart. Uh, the truth is about running away from God. And I'm not talking about being totally away from God because some people turn away from God in the pews of the church. I have seen it. I've experienced it. I counsel people who are literally living in disobedience in the pew of the church. They're not out there doing all this what we think is bad things. The truth about running away from God and from the will of God in my life and in your life is often planned. It's often organized. It doesn't just happen suddenly or was not aware of it and I, I fell. The, no, no, it's calculated. Two of the saddest words in the book of Jonah, and I hope that you would turn to it in your Bibles. Two of the saddest words are in verse 3 of chapter 1. But Jonah... 
The story of Jonah really can be summarized in, 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 under this heading. God, surely not me, definitely not there, and most certainly not them. That's probably the motto of his life. You know the story. I think most of you are familiar. How, how many of you don't know the story of Jonah? And I'll, I'll, I'll give it to you very quickly. Most of you are aware of it. Most of you know the story. God called you to do something and you don't like it. That's what the life of the stories, uh, life of Jonah is all about. Instead of obeying God, he decided that he has got to go his way and hope that God will see it his way. And he went the opposite direction. Verse 3, but Jonah. Can you say it with me? But Jonah. Let's say it together with enthusiasm. Now, I'm not going to ask you to say but and then put your name after that. <laughs> Instead of being filled with gratitude and thanksgiving for God calling him to do something great for God, the Bible said, but Jonah. He went to Joppa. I've been to Joppa. It's a, it's a, it's a coastal city in Israel, uh, which is the wrong direction to begin with from his hometown. <laughs> he should never have gone there. He should have traveled east. Uh, he bought a ticket on a ship that was heading in the opposite direction near Spain. Well, Nineveh, where God called him to go and start a revival, is in modern-day Iraq. And back then, that is the known world. You can go from as far away from where God called him to go. He called him to Nineveh. He went to Tarshish. And Nineveh is, a, as I said, modern-day Iraq. And Jonah was, was trying to head not near the place to at least say, well, I, I went close enough. But he wanted to go the opposite direction. And my beloved friends, let me tell you, from my own personal experience, Jonah's problem was not geographical. It was spiritual. Our problems are never geographical. It doesn't matter where you are geographically. But spiritually, where are you spiritually? That is really the problem. In my case, God had literally to take me away 10,000 miles away in order to get me to the place of obedience. The problem is never geographical. The problem is not where you are physically. It's where you are spiritually. Um, for you and for me, Tarshish, your Tarshish, and my Tarshish may be t very different. But your Tarshish and mine is where we, we want to be, not where God wants us to be. In that time, you would say, well, God, one place as good as the other. Lord, what difference does it make? Uh, God, where I'm going in Tarshish, that's really the place of action. Uh, Tarshish, uh, for you, might be a place where you're settled, where you're comfortable, uh, and you've got all that you want. Tarshish to you and to me may be the place in our lives where we are cozy and familiar. It's a place in our lives when we are not shaken and, and, and out of our apathy, when we're not challenged in our Christian life or risk anything for God. Just coast, coasting, coasting. It is a place in your life where you would rather be popular than obedient, where You'd rather you be popular than being an ambassador of Jesus Christ. I shared with the 9 o'clock congregation. I can talk about it publicly now because um, they approached me not long ago of being an ambassador. 
to a major country. And I said, God bless you. Thank you so much. I'm already ambassador of the King of Kings. Any, any other ambassadorship is a demotion. <laughs> Why would I be demoted? <laughs> you see, it's where you are today. Are you being an ambassador of the Lord Jesus Christ? Or have you bought the ticket? Some of you may have just going into Joppa, just walking those 60 miles. Some of you may have got to Joppa and bought the ticket. Some of you may be on board of that cruise ship. <laughs> you know, I'm, I'm talking about figure of speech. Some of you may have already been in Tarshish, and yet you're here today. Please hear me right. Many people, when they are internally and spiritually running away from the Lord, and it happens all the time, I see it among Christians. And they run away because simply they are facing a tough, tough situation, a difficult circumstances, and a difficult stage in their life. Uh, and, and, and we all face difficult situations. Uh, our Western world today is, if things don't work out, run. Marriage doesn't work out. And who doesn't have problems in marriage? We've been married for 45 years. I love this woman more than anything else. And we... And we still have some problems. <laughs> I always tell my congregation, I said, you know, we compromise in, in the marriage. She says, we should do this way. I said, no, no, we should do this way. And then we compromise and do it her way. <laughs> I hope you men are listening. <laughs> Job. Doesn't work, difficulty, facing problems, you want to run. Uh, and who doesn't have problems in their job? A challenge in ministry, a challenge in serving, a challenge in some, wherever you are, and you want to run away. And yet, problems are part of being part of the human race. Uh, Tarshish looked so easier for Jonah. Tarsus looked so inviting. Tarsus looked so attractive. Tarsus looked so appealing. There's no challenge there. The Assyrians were known. This is the Nineveh where he was sent to. They were known of skinning people alive. And who wants to take that risk? Even though the God of heaven and earth is sending him, he was wanting to go to the easy way out, take the easy way out, go to the easy place. Man, he probably got that brochure, or we call him brochure here, in the mail, and he looked at the pictures, and man, it looked lovely. Tarshish just looked so attractive. And the water is so beautifully blue, and the, and the sand looks like sugar. I mean, you can't wait to get on that ship, right? Jonah's fleeing was calculated. My fleeing was calculated. All fleeing from the will of God is calculated. And the Bible said, he found the ship. Isn't that amazing? <laughs> isn't, that, isn't that sweet? <laughs> he didn't have to work hard. He found the ship. The ship was there. What a beautiful coincidence. What, what, a, what a providential thing. What a, what a, uh, it, it's fortuitous, isn't it? The, the ship is right there. And ready to sail. I don't have to wait for days or months. We convince ourselves. Surely God must have plan B. Why else would a ship be there waiting at the port. Ready in the dock to go where I want to go. And that is. And why that ship 
is going exactly where I want to go. I mean, of all places, God is good, isn't he? <laughs> Surely he doesn't want me to be unhappy. Have you ever heard that? In America, it drives me nuts. All the Christians talk about God wants me happy. Really? He wants you to be holy. <laughs> Happiness comes as a bonus when you walk in holiness with God. Surely God doesn't want me to witness to potentially very hostile culture that could kill me. Surely God doesn't want me to take a stand for him and jeopardize my lucrative business deal. Surely God does not want me to stand out like a sore thumb in my workplace. Surely God does not want me to be a killjoy in my school or in my college or in my environment. Ah, God must have plan B. It's easy one. Be careful of that easy one. Surely not me, Lord, and definitely not there, and certainly not them. The problem is this. It always feels good when you're buying the ticket to get on the boat, to go away from the will of God. It feels good in the beginning. The Bible talks about sin, pleasurable for a moment. But do you know why? Because you cannot see the storm that is brewing in the horizon. It was days, possibly weeks away. Make no mistake about it, my beloved friend, and I speak from my personal experience and I'm sharing my heart with you. There is a whole lot more cost to running away from the will of God in your life than the price of the ticket to Tashish. But you know the darndest thing that I'll never understand is why God did not whack him on the head by the two by four. Have you ever got, have you, I've, I've been there. Spurgeon used to say, God has a very unique way when he takes his child into the woodshed. And I've been in the woodshed a few times. I don't want to go there very often. <laughs> Why did God do something? Why did God put a red light to you know, stop him? Have somebody that, stop him from going all the way there. He says, you shouldn't go there. You're going the wrong way, Jonah. Go back. Oh, because God is so patient. He was so patient with Jonah. I know he's been so patient with me. And I want to tell you, after nearly 55 years of walking with the Lord, the Lord is extremely patient God. The Lord is so extremely gracious. He is so extremely persevering with us. He is so extremely kind, God. He is so extremely compassionate. He's so extremely long-suffering, God. So much so that the Apostle Paul pleads with us not to misinterpret and not to misconstrue his patience for the fact that he does not care. He does. And just as Jonah finished rationalizing all of this in his head, just as Jonah finished thinking that, oh, I got away with it, and just as he began to feel that beautiful Mediterranean breeze that put him into a very nice sleep, trouble began. If you have the chapter in front of you, verse 4, then the Lord sent great wind on the sea. 
Oh my, <laughs> what happened? Well, Jonah trudged 60 miles from Gath, where he comes from, to Joppa. Most likely, most likely, I have no evidence, but most likely he walked. He walked those 60 miles. I don't know how long it took him, but all this thing going through his head. I'm going to get away. I'm going to get away with it. I'm going to get away with it. Nothing bad has happened throughout this walking of 60 miles. Then fortuitously, the, the ship was there waiting. I mean, well, how lucky can you get? Huh? I mean, how unusual that is. And the ship was going as far away from Nineveh as the opposites of the two worlds. Ah, what an opportunity God has provided for me. I can witness for him in Tarshish. It's just one problem. It's not where God wanted him. It's not where God wanted him. So he plunks his credit card and says, one-way ticket. You call it single here, right? Single, no, no return. One way, one way ticket to Tashish. He has no intention of coming back to Israel. He boards the ship and the ship takes off. Ah, I persuaded God to implement plan B for me. We don't know how long it took before the storm, maybe days. Maybe weeks. We don't know. They were very, very slow back then. They literally would go yeah, a few miles in a day. And just as Jonah got used to the beautiful Mediterranean breeze and the beautiful air, and he slept soundly, saying probably to himself, man, I can't wait to get to that other side. Run away from God. Run away from the will of God. I do my own thing. I want to share something with you, and I hope that you take it to heart. Don't forget it. Ephesians chapter 1, verse 11 says that God accomplishes all things. Can you say all things with me? All According to the counsel of his will. God accomplishes all things. Memorize it. All things according to the counsel of his will. The question is, do you want to be willing to participate in that will of God? See, the will of God can never be thwarted. You can fight it and cause yourself all sorts of pain, like I did in my life. Or you can go along for the ride and enjoy the ride. <laughs> In the last 30 years, I've been enjoying the ride. Or will you say to God, God, surely, not me, Lord, surely send somebody else. Please listen. When a storm started brewing in your life, when you are on the cruise ship of disobedience, this is figure of speech, don't panic. Be thankful. You say, why are you saying this? Because it means that God has not given up on you. Amen? In Romans 1.28, it tells us that God gives up on those who are not his. He gives them up, it says, 
to their depraved mind. He gives them up. I always tell folks, we're blessed with four children and soon to be 10 grandchildren. And I'm telling you, I, I tell people, I am not interested in disciplining, in chastising, in training my neighbor's kids. I'm only interested in disciplining, chastising, training, encouraging my kids. God does the same thing. He's not going to discipline the devil's children. <laughs> and that's why if you see them succeeding and doing great, don't be envious, as Psalm 71 says. Don't be, don't be envious of them. You see, God is too merciful. He's too kind. He's too loving to allow his own children to drift on the sea of life. Question. Why did God send the storm to wake Jonah up? To wake him up to what? To the call of God on his life. To God's plan for his life. To God's work in his life. And you see, God has, has a plan and, a, and, and work and, and, and a purpose for each of you individually. It's not duplicated. It's not duplicated. There is a, a gift of the Holy Spirit with your name written in it. It may be the same area of, of giftedness, whether it be teaching or preaching or administration or whatever. There's a list in the Bible. But the way he got it organized for you is uniquely yours. Nobody else could do it. So when you don't do it, what happened? It would be a draft in the, build, in the body of Christ. I want to wake him up to his calling of being an ambassador. He's calling you to be an ambassador of Jesus Christ. He's calling you, wants to wake you up to bring glory to the name of Jesus. He's waking you up to obedience. Listen carefully. There is one thing you can be sure of. When you are in the run or tempted to, be, to run away from God's will, it is very difficult, if not impossible, to hear the voice of God. Because you're filled with your own voice and your own desire and your own plan that you're not hearing God very correctly. I remember a man walked up in my office many years ago and he said, I believe it's the will of God for me to divorce my wife. I said, you got to worship one God that I don't know. That's not the God of the Bible. Sit down and shut up and tell me what's her name. He did. He was living with somebody else. And he tried to blame God for it. Well, I told God to stop me, but he didn't. Really? He's not listening to the voice of God. It's very difficult, if not impossible, to hear God when you're filled with your own ideas of what you want to do. And so, surely not me, Lord, surely not me, Lord, surely not me, Lord, was filling his ears. That's the voice that he heard over and over again in the 60-mile walk and in the ship, in the dock, and in the ship itself. Now, I want to plead with you. Can I plead with you for a moment? Do not stay asleep until God has to send the storm to wake you up. I'm pleading with you because I know those storms and they're not fun. 
Don't stay on the run until God has to send a storm to get you back. Most of us, when we come to Christ, we're on fire for Christ. We want to witness for Christ. I remember when I wanted to tell everybody, I, I want to witness to everything that moves out of excitement. But then comes a period when you cool down. Your love becomes lukewarm. Your ministry stale. But then you go through the spiritual sleep and God had to wake you up in the cruise liner of disobedience. And God is speaking to us gently. He does. He speaks gently. He speaks so lovingly. He speaks so thoughtfully. And he speaks definitively. He may be speaking to you today. I don't know where you are. I don't know which part of the journey you're on, but God does. And if he's speaking to you today, I plead with you respond before the storm really gets bad. But when God forbid that we remain in the state of spiritual sleep, even the pagan sailors will rebuke us. Look at verse 6. The captain said to Jonah, how is it with your sleeping? <laughs> Get up. Call upon your God. Do you have a God? <laughs> well, if you don't have a God, now this is not in the scripture. I tell, as I tell, this is Yusuf translation, okay? We got a bunch of gods down at the bow of the ship. We're carrying some gods into Europe. We got, we got Baal, and we got Ashtaroth, we got Dagon, we got a whole bunch of them. You can go and get one and, and cry to him. What? Well, who's your God? These were veteran seamen. They knew and they recognized that this is a very unusual storm. This is a storm of somebody who's doing something wrong with God. <laughs> That's the kind of storm that's only happened when someone is in disobedience. Poor old Jonah, he wakes up, rubs his eyes, and he says, what? What do you mean uh, I don't have a God? Uh, my God. Is that like these powerless gods? Uh, my God is the God of power and might. My God is the God who dried up the Red Sea. And my God is the God who brought the Red Sea back and drowned the Egyptian army. My God is the God who parted the River Jordan. My God is the God who destroyed the walls of Jericho with a shout. My God is the God who tells the sun to rise in the morning and the sun obeys him. My God is the God who put all the stars in their orbits. My God is the God who named all of the stars in the galaxies. My God is the God who made the oceans. My God is the God who made the seas and the land. And, and furthermore, I'm running away from him. <laughs> Imagine the pagan sailor looking at him and said, what? <laughs> How can you run away from that God? <laughs> Best of luck, buddy. How can you run away from this kind of God? It is a sad moment, is it not? when a non-believer rebukes a believer? Have you been there? I've been there once. Never wanted it to happen again. 
Why haven't you told me about salvation? Why haven't you told me about Jesus? Why haven't you told me about eternal life? Why haven't you told me that I am sinking into eternity in torment without the Lord Jesus? Uh, Why didn't you? I remember one time a person was converted and had known me for a long time. And then he came to me and he said, why didn't you tell me? I still grieve over that occasion. Why didn't you tell me? Look at verse 8, 9, and 10. So they asked him, tell us, who is responsible for making all this trouble for us? What do you do? Where do you come from? Uh, What is your country? From what people are you? Jonah answered, I am a Hebrew. I worship the Lord, the God of heaven, who made the sea and the land. This, of course, terrified them. They terrified them. What have you done? You see, they knew that he was running away from the Lord because he already told them. Now, my beloved friends, listen very carefully to me. I'm really getting close to the end. A powerless Christian is a pitiful Christian. Jesus said the salt, when it loses its saltness, is useless, is not good for anything. Beloved, you are created to be a powerhouse for God. You are created and redeemed to speak for God. You are created and redeemed to testify to God. You are, you are not created and redeemed so that you may just serve on a couple of committees or put in a couple of pounds and, or, or go to church once on, on, on a, in a few moon, blue moon. No. The captain questioned to Jonah is to you and to me, where are you coming from and what country are you you're from? Who do you belong to? I belong to the Lord Jesus who rose from the dead with every omnipotent power. And the Bible said that the same power that raised Jesus from the dead is working in us. I'm redeemed by the blood of Christ. Huh? (laughs) I am called by God to reconcile others to himself. But I told God, surely not me. Send my sister. I found a ship. Felt much easier to coast along life's highway. But the question, listen carefully, the question is not why, but what. If you get that, say amen. This is important because the devil would love to get you thinking and meditate, why, why, why? No, no, no. What God is asking is what? What will you do now? Thank God that our God is not only the God of a second chance, he's a God of 2,000 chances. Thank God that you don't have to be thrown over water and be swallowed by a great fish and live on sushi. Because <laughs> that's what happened. He was eating sushi for three days. My kids love that stuff. I can't stand it. God bless them. If you want a revival in your home, you want a revival in your church, you want a revival in your land, get out of the ship. Get back to Nineveh. Sound the alarm of God's displeasure over the cruising children. Sound the alarm that people 
may fear the Lord once again. Wake up before it's too late. Today, every single day, at least once a day, I thank God that he did not answer my prayer back in 1968. A prayer that I begged him to answer. I thank him every day. He did not answer that prayer. It was a foolish prayer. It was a prayer of running away from God. A future without God. That prayer that he did not answer, that I foolishly prayed, is a cause for thanksgiving for me every day. I thank God that he sent me a storm in my life to get me back on track. But you don't have to wait for a storm. You don't have to wait for a storm. Don't wait for a storm. Get back to your first love. As your love become lukewarm, you can restore your first love. He can do it for you today. Get back to your first call. Get back to God's original intent for you. In a moment, we're going to pray. But before I do that, I want to tell you a short story. I know this is a young congregation, but there is a very old hymn. Most of you probably have not heard it. Come thou fount of every blessing. Just give me a showing of hand if you know the song, the hymn. It's a very old hymn back in the 1700s. <laughs> I know, but we still sing it. <laughs> the third verse, the third stanza goes like this. Prone to wonder, Lord, I feel it. Prone to leave the God I love. Sure enough, this were prophetic words. Robertson become converted, come to Christ under the ministry of George Whitfield. Bruce is an expert on George Whitfield. And at the age of 23, on the day of Pentecost, he sat down and wrote that hymn. Then, sure enough, he wandered away from the Lord. And he was living away from the Lord after a great ministry, a great songwriting, a great music up, uh, ministry. He gets on a stagecoach. Across from him, there was a lady who was humming this hymn. And then she kind of wanted to engage him in a conversation, and she said to him, Sir, do you know this hymn? He began to weep and sob. Madam, I am the poor Richard man who wrote that hymn years ago. I would give a thousand worlds if I had them just for the joy and the peace that I had then. Beloved, as I said, our God is a God of million chances and he doesn't give up on his own. 
And so wherever you are today, this is an opportunity. This is a moment. It's a God moment. It's a holy moment. I believe this is a moment when the surgeon has prepared the room, washed his hands. This is the sermon. But this moment that is coming is the moment he cuts and operates. It's a very serious moment because the Holy Spirit is doing his work in you, and in you, and in you, and in you. Only he knows where you are. Are you start the journey of 60 mile walk? Have you gone to the port? Have you bought the ticket? Are you on the ship? Whatever you are, whatever stage you may be, I'm gonna ask you to bow your heads in prayer with me.